It is an honor and a joy to be with you this morning on this auspicious weekend celebrating the ordination of the now Reverend Aaron Dykeholly. In thinking of the time that Erin and I spent together when she was a student in seminary, and together with Neil planning and conducting their wedding several years ago, I recalled their fascination with the acrobatics of the circus and my own encounter with it as a religious experience. You should probably be told at the outset that I was never a fan of the circus. It always seemed to me, for as long as I can remember, clearly visible that the glitter covered ugliness, that the antics of the clowns were always thinly veiled cruelty, and their painted smiles hid bitterness and desperation. It seemed to me that what was required of the animals was inherently degrading and motivated by fear. The crowds were faceless masses in which to get lost and have your pocket picked, or worse. The tent was rickety and flammable. The food oversweet and indigestible. The whole flamboyant illusion was too artificial, and the reality which lay beneath it too visible and composed of various forms of misery. Even as a child, I was suspicious of the whole enterprise, skeptical and undelighted. So it was with little enthusiasm that I first agreed to attend a performance by Cirque du Soleil several decades ago, which challenged and changed my initial perceptions. But by the time it was over, I not only understood for the first time something of what people who have always loved the circus feel about it, I had also found in it a new metaphor to reflect my humanist understanding of what I mean by faith. It has to do with that childlike experience of wonder described in the earlier reading by Sam Keane. Part of what is impressive about Cirque du Soleil is that the show does not simply assume an attitude of childish wonder that will be satisfied with surface appearances. Rather, it carefully cultivates and evokes those specific ingredients listed by Keene. Immediacy, intimacy, lack of necessity, challenge and mastery, to create a memory and a state of mind of grown-up, childlike wonder. And in this process, the show raises some of the deepest of theological questions and realities, not to the articulate intellectual level, but to the place where we recognize them in our hearts, and then they too contribute 
to the sense of wonder. Perhaps the thing that amazed me most of all is that this process was utterly nonverbal. Except for a required warning at the very beginning about not smoking and not taking photographs, all the talking which was done throughout the show consists of nonsense syllables. Their message conveyed by expression, posture, volume, and tone of voice. Dependent as I am on the structure of language, nonverbal communication is generally a source of annoyance and frustration to me. <laughs> to feel that I understood and was connected to the process in a way that transcended all words was a source of wonder. Indeed, when the ring mistress scolded us out of the tent for intermission with a string of gibberish that finally resolved into go pee pee, <laughs> it was half shocking to recognize that sounds still had meaning. And we laughed at that as much as at the mundanity of the message itself. As I say, I do not usually care for clowns at all unless they are people I know personally, and then what intrigues me most about them is the contrast between their behavior when the costume and the makeup separates them from their inhibitions and what I know of them in their real lives. This, I had to admit, was different. Actually, <clears throat> La Nouvelle Experience, the show's title meaning The New Experience, opens with a quartet of young contortionists. These four girls, 14 and 15, can bend their bodies in ways I couldn't begin to describe. And of course, they make it look like anyone could. In hindsight, I take this as a preface a kind of statement of reassurance or warning without words that everything, the world and human beings and reality itself is a lot more flexible than you think. The elfin faces of the young women emerging from hooded leotards of mottled pink challenged any definition of the boundaries between humans and imaginary creatures. Then emerged the clown, not in ruffles and paint, but a kind of perfect caricature of a nervous traveling salesman. Every man in a gray suit with a suitcase, anxious to make the right connections to his next destination, but stumbling inadvertently into the universe of the circus creatures. His misadventures there, trying to make contact with these alien beings while maintaining his own identity and dignity, formed the leitmotif of the entire show. I thought it was a brilliant stroke to make the clown the least garish and outrageously dressed character in the show, the one most like the audience, for we identified with him instantly, and in laughing at him, we were not laughing at his tribulations, but rather at ourselves 
and our own follies. It is mutely suggested from time to time that the world into which every man has wandered might be hell, or even heaven, or just some fantastic underworld, but wherever it is, he is not at home there. And he is also a force of disruption in the bizarre order of things which obtains among the creatures there. Well, how at home are we, each of us, in the worlds in which we find ourselves? How explicable are the actions and reactions, loves and hates, antics and achievements of the cast of characters that we encounter in our lives? How hard do we strive to maintain our dignity when we might better just drop our burdens and dance. After the intermission, when we had all been thoroughly captivated by the immediacy and intimacy of this world of wonder, the clown did an extended piece of nonverbal interaction with the audience, in the course of which he tried on people's coats, and having borrowed one person's pair of glasses, proceeded to return them to someone else and pass theirs along to another and so on until about a dozen pairs of glasses had been exchanged. And suddenly, we were surrounded not by a sea of hostile and dangerous strangers, but by a community of cooperation in which we had no choice but to trust each other and work together in order to get the glasses straightened out. <laughs> Part of the wonder of the world into which we had wandered had to do, of course, with the sheer physical virtuosity of what the performers did. They climbed a stack of a dozen chairs, balancing a, lighted, a birthday cake with lighted candles. They leapt up from two-by-fours balanced on the shoulders of other performers, turned somersaults, and landed again on those narrow beams. They twirled enormous parasols with their feet. They danced on narrow wires. And of course, above all, they flew from straps and trapezes, from trampolines and seesaws. They sailed through the air, making all of us feel that air was our natural element too if we could only just remember how we had once been able to soar. And it seemed to me at last that this was an apt metaphor for the human condition, that we find ourselves constantly bemused by a world in which we are only half at home, striving to make our way with all our luggage to connect with others while maintaining our own integrity, to dance when the music captures us. And in the face of all this confusion and uncertainty, with breathtaking beauty and precision, we climb and we fly. Two aspects of the performance contributed to this metaphor. 
One was that height was never used arbitrarily. Nothing was more dangerous than it inherently needed to be in order to work. The wires were not high enough that a fall would inevitably kill, but indeed low enough so that every move was visible, including details of expression and technique. There were always nets, safety straps, spotters. For it was not tragedy they were courting, but wonder, not death that was defied, but gravity and despair. Recently, on March 18th, the performer did fall to his death at a Cirque du Soleil show in Florida, the third fatality in the organization's more than 30-year history and the second at a live performance. One circus historian compared this favorably with accidental death rates in other dangerous sports, such as ski jumping or sports car racing, as well as with rates of accidents and fatalities in traveling circuses of earlier times. A dramatic event like this easily goes viral in today's social media, and its very rarity makes it the more notable. The show closed for several weeks, and investigations into the cause of the accident are ongoing. The other factor that contributed to the effectiveness of the performance was the deliberate visibility of all the rigging. Most of the equipment for the various acts was set up and dismantled before our eyes. We saw the wires made taut, the net placed. We saw the mechanics that made flight possible. Nothing about it was a secret, and so the mystery and the wonder were deepened. It seems to me that this is part of the wisdom of our own religious tradition. Anything covered with glitter and veils makes us suspicious and doubtful. When we have the bare bones right before us and are still amazed, then a skeptical humanist like me knows that the wonderer is real. A particularly vivid expression of this was the Russian aerial strap performer. Using a pair of cloth straps suspended from high above, he soared across the ring, raised and lowered according to the demands of the moves he was doing. His grace and his sheer physical command of his body were incredible as well as his sheer, serenely expressionless beauty. But rather than having the straps raised or lowered by a machine or hidden behind the scenes, there were five members of the troupe clearly visible in the background moving forward and back to control the tension or slack of his rope. Lyrical and effortless and singular as his flying seemed, the act as a whole clearly showed that no one flies alone, that behind every breathtaking achievement is a silent community of support making possible 
all that in our most shining moments we do. And in fact, the circus seemed not only an expression of this truth, but also a symbol. If you remember that a symbol is a sign that participates in what it points toward. And I thought as I watched these performers move smoothly through a process which blended the skill and daring of individuals with the discipline, support, and trust of the whole troop, while also incorporating the delight and energy of the audience, that to belong to such a group must create an intensity of community that I can only imagine. Not only do they create an imaginary world of lights and costumes and music, they have also created, of necessity, a very special world of real men and women who make that performance happen night after night, city after city. The profound sharing of physical proximity, of artistic creation, of daily risk and sheer labor must bring you together in a way that deepens and changes everyone. I am confident that no one who has not actually done it can really know what it is like. And no one can be admitted to that charmed circle who has not shared all the work, the discipline, the joy, and the glory. For a moment, as I recognized that I, as a member of the audience, could only watch and speculate what it must be like to join hands at the end of the evening and see in one another's eyes the triumphant message, we did it again. For that moment, I longed with all my heart to run away and join the circus and be a member of that community, if only for a moment. It tugged at me also as I watched the trapeze artists sailing fantastically into one another's hands, finding the bar beneath them in the middle of empty air at the split second it had to be there. And I thought of the enormous trust they must have. Trust in the physical equipment that supports and carries them. That no rope is frayed, no bolt is loose, no bar is cracked. Trust in one another, in the strength and the skill and the goodwill of their partners to do their part and be where they must be at the critical moment. And trust in themselves, that their muscles will hold them and their reflexes will know each turn, that their nerve will not fail them in the real and daily danger of their craft. It is a curious mixture. All this can be tested, practiced, adjusted, checked. And I must suppose that it is with nearly obsessive regularity. And yet, when the show is on, 
and the audience waits breathlessly, nothing can be tested. No experiments or arguments can be performed. At that timeless and eternal moment, one can only launch out, trusting all that has gone before, trusting that one will at last be caught and held. That essential and existential trust is close akin to what I would call faith. Not in any sense blind, not in any way unreasoning, but willing at the necessary moment to risk one's being in the flight, which is an unanswered question every time until wrist slaps into wrist and you swing caught and safe on the other side. So the circus taught me yet again what I mean by religion. And I realized that I am a member of a community of discipline and wonder, that however alone I may appear and even sometimes feel in this pulpit or any pulpit, in truth, you and all the members of congregations everywhere hold the other end of the rope. And on your tension, I rise and fall. When I take the risk of sharing what is deepest in me, or you do, it is as if we have launched ourselves outstretched from the swinging bar in the trust that the other will be there at the end of our leap to catch us. Or at worst, we shall fall only as far as the net to land in safety and try again. For like the circus, we are a circle of the sun. Together we make a place to discover and share the wonder of the world. At the end of the show, every man, the clown in the business suit, is taken up and passed hand to hand to the back of the stage by all the circus creatures. And he returns, complete with suit and suitcase, in the form of a five-year-old child. There is in each of us a childlike heart, still capable of wonder, and only through that child can we be at home in this bizarre, amazing world? And yet even that was not quite the finale, for it implies that our grown-up striving selves are somehow wrong. At the last moment, in a poignant promise of reconciliation and salvation, the big clown and the little one mirror images of one another, walk off stage, silhouetted by a spotlight, hand in hand. We live our lives in the circle of the sun. Despite our pain and our estrangement, we still climb and soar, and however high we fly, it is never alone. 
Rather, it is our faith which enables us to launch out our faith and the wonder of a childlike heart which binds us in community and makes us finally at home. And yet, all these words can only poorly describe the power of these images. Aaron and Neil know. For these regimens of the circus are part of their spiritual practice, a practice of self-awareness and self-challenge, a discipline of community as well as physics and the human body, a pursuit of wonder and the timeless dream of flying. And so the circus, properly engaged, offers a metaphor for the human condition and the possibility of a religious experience. For we are all in mourning for the memory of our lost wings. And we are all astray in a world of wonder. All the human beings of the world, all of us, here in the circle of the sun. <laughs>